I believe, uh, strategically, George uh, kind of transitioned us from evangelism to discipleship, because that's kind of basically what comes next. Our goal for any person who professes belief in Jesus Christ is, is for them to next be disciples. If you have been a Christian for just uh, about any time period, you've probably heard of words like a disciple and discipling, used in a number of different contexts, right? And as we begin this morning, it will be helpful to, uh, for us to kind of get a better understanding of these images and the ideas that those words bring to our mind. So what do you think of when you hear the word disciple? What word, um, what does the word disciple bring to your mind? Some answers may include, you know, uh, discipline, uh, follower, imitator, uh, Jesus disciples, one-on-one relationships, etc. Clearly, there are a lot of ideas about what a disciple may be. Most essentially, in the Bible, a disciple is presented as someone who follows after the life and teaching of another. In fact, as we consider in more detail, shortly, the last command that Jesus gave to his followers was to go out and make disciples. And as followers of Jesus ourselves, we have a keen interest in knowing how we can best be obedient to that command. To go and be about the work of making disciples. And we'll refer to this as the work of discipling. So, what is a disciple? According to Got Questions, a Christian website, a disciple is a student or a learner, someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making them their rule of life and conduct. I think this is a, this is a good definition to kind of put on a sticky note in our minds, remembering that we are making disciples of Jesus Christ and not of ourselves. Interestingly enough, Jesus never called anyone a Christian. But he often used the term disciple. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples. In fact, the very first time Christians is used in the entire Bible is in the book of Acts. So let's consider biblically what are some marks, some of the marks of a disciple may be. Certainly, we may be tempted to look only at the first disciples or the twelve disciples spoken of in the New Testament. But they often had a unique role that may not be fully transferable to us. However, if we look through the broader witness of Scripture, we can get a pretty good picture of what we are aiming for when we talk about disciplement. Right? What are some general marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ? I just kind of wrote a couple down. I'm be, I'll just mention some Bible verses and you can kind of write them down or just kind of let them later on. But um, one of them is a, a response to God's initiated call. We see that in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Another one is a desire to know what God says. Uh, we see that in um, Job 23, verse 12, Jeremiah 15, 16. We see that in the book, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Um, another one is a, a break from the world standards. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you still follow the world or do you follow Jesus? Another one is self-discipline. Are you um, killing your sin or is the sin killing you, right? Quote John Owen. See that in uh, what? Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. 
Another one is a desire to seek and encourage other disciples. That's pretty much everywhere. That's Roman um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 22. And 1 John chapter 1. Another thing of, of, of a mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ is a passion for evangelism. And then there's perseverance, of course. We won't spend too much time here right now, but these are just some traits that we should uh, strive for and encourage those who are discipling others to follow as well. So the larger context for discipling is the local church. While it helps to know the outline of what a disciple looks like, we, we also need to know what discipling looks like coming from scriptures, according to the text, what the Bible paints as discipleship. We could come up with a lot of different definitions of the, the work of discipling. There is not a single authoritative definition given in one place in scripture. Rather, the disciple-making process is so critical to the message of the Bible that we find the theme running through the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, we see God's people regularly commanded to constantly disciple one another by reminding each other of God's faithfulness and talking about his deeds, right? Especially his rescue of them in Exodus and the Exodus from Egypt. In the New Testament, we see the disciple-making process begun in the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepares men and women for the coming of Christ. We also see it in Christ's work as he calls out and trains his initial followers. And we see it in the, in the, um, as the church forms in the book of Acts to implement the risen Christ command to go and make disciples. We also see it in all the epistles that the church grows in our understanding of the disciple-making task, both for the church as a whole and for individual believers. As we talk about discipling, we need to also define the scope of what we have in mind. For the most part, in this class, we'll be talking about relational or one-on-one -on -one discipling. Are you relating to another person or two with the aim to do them good spiritually? But that's not the, the whole of how disciple-making takes place. It's not even the most important way that disciple-making takes place. A thing of discipling uh, on a much larger scale, what we do together as a local church and our public wor worship services. At its core, discipling is what will happen. Uh, Lord willing, in just a little while after this, George will stand before us and expound on God's word. And from that, we learn and we kind of just understand. He's teaching us what the text says. And from that, he's growing us and we're learning, right? Disciple-making is what the church does in the songs that we sing, in the scriptures that we read, in the weekly opportunities to serve one another and encourage one another, in the relationships of the accountability that it fosters, and in the, in the mutual gifts of love that make up the body of Christ on earth. In one sense, the, the church is a body, is a greenhouse that God himself has constructed to grow and cultivate disciples of Christ. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. <laughs> what we are talking about in this class, one-on-one -on -one discipling, is one of the many tools that God employs in the local church. And it should not be considered in isolation to the others. 
Every believer is called to the work of discipling. No one gets a pass. Only a few will be called to call upon to preach, and only a few will lead public worship, and only um, and even a few were will teach large groups, right? However, it is the contention of this class that every Christian, every Christian is called by God to contribute to the disciple-making work of the church through deliberate, mutually encouraging relationships. This is primarily what we are thinking about in this class. The interpersonal relating to other people that we ourselves can initiate. Keep in mind, one-on-one discipling uh, should not be thought of as distinct from the larger work of the local church. One-on-one discipling relationships must always fit within the broader biblical context of disciple-making work in the local church. So, what is discipling? Having said that, let's now consider on what one-on-one or relational discipleship discipling looks like. Based on scripture, I think one way we can define the work of discipling is the intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. The intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. While this definition is not authoritative, I think it will be helpful for us to kind of help for us to kind of keep this on sticking on our mind as well. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and unpack this definition. Discipling is, is, is intentional and deliberate. It's not something that just happens. It's not the result of, um, it, rather, it is the result of purposeful initiative on the part of other Christians. Discipling involves encouragement. Christians need encouragement in order to be faithful and to persevere in their faith. The Apostle Paul, who was a spiritual giant, right? He writes in his letter to the Romans, listen to what he says. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, here we go, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine's. Now, saints, if Paul needed encouragement, surely we need it, right? Amen? Discipling is also focused on making followers of Jesus. That's why we're called Christians, teaching others to follow him. Discipling is ultimately rooted in the word of God. It's not just our advice when we're discipling one another. The goal is to teach them to view everything through the lens of Christ, which is the word. Discipling is loving. To care, to care for someone's soul in this way is love. And finally, discipling is relational. It involves more than just watching a, a lesson on a video. It involves us sharing our lives with each other. And to, to better understand this topic, I want us to spend uh, the remainder of this class thinking of a few components of this definition and some of the implications. First, biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. These are words that you are going to hear a lot in this class, intentional or deliberate. But we need to understand that making disciples is not something that just happens. It is a result of Christians responding in obedience to an imperative command of God. The command to make disciples is not merely some strategy that we have dreamed up to grow the church. Rather, 
This is at its core of the work that Jesus gave us, his redeemed people, the church, as he prepared to return to the right hand of the Father. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I'll go ahead and read it. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is not a charge simply to tell the gospel. That's only half, but the other half is to make disciples. This is to be the focus of our evangelism, disciple making. Jesus instructs his disciples to turn and make disciples of others. They are not to make disciples of themselves, but of Jesus. Just as he has done, they were to purposefully invest their lives in teaching others to follow Christ. And that is what we understand that we ought to do as well as we are called Christians. To give ourselves intentionally, deliberately, on purpose to relationships with others in order to help them become mature followers of Christ. This is not just the work of a uh, the work of special individuals either. Throughout Scripture, we see that all God's people are called to encourage one another as a mark of their own discipleship of God. In Hebrews uh, chapter ten, the writer of Hebrews tells the Christians receiving this letter, and let us consider how we may spur another to. Spur, spur another another on toward love and good deeds. That's Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Notice that he says us and one another. This spurring on in the Christian life is presented here and throughout the scriptures as a normative work of the people of God. Not just a few paid professions, right? And did you also notice the words consider and spur? This is not merely something that happens if it happens, but it's something that the writer tells us to consider and think about and strategize for, to deliberately work towards that with the purpose of spurring our brothers and sisters forward in love and growth as Christians. We can go on and on, but I hope you get at least a little taste of the biblical truth that disciple making is not passive. To be faithful to the call to make disciples, we are called to jump into the work intentionally and deliberately. So, second, biblical discipling, biblical discipling is relational. The idea of discipling is relational, is interwoven through much of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Okay, amen. <laughs> In Scripture, we see a God who is not merely revealed, but a God who is relational. Throughout the Bible, we see God revealing himself not merely to convey information, right? But in order to reveal truth that results in a relationship with him. At every turn, we see a God who is moving intentionally and deliberately toward ever deeper and more meaningful levels of relationships with his people. From the appearance of his law in the Exodus and to the promise of God with us in Isaiah. To the appearance of an incarnate Christ in the Gospels, and to face-to-face, unmediated fellowship with God described in Revelation. Perhaps the reason that the process by which we work 
to build up God's people is so relational is that it pictures and describes the larger truth of the relational nature of God. Now, we see this relational focus through the biblical description of God's assembled children in the local church. These assemblies are described as households and bodies and buildings, images that picture the interrelation and the integrated workings of distinct parts. We are often called brothers and sisters. The idea is that we have been adopted by God and we all are brothers and sisters in Christ and that should make the bond that we have kind of unbreakable, right? The simple transfer of information is not sufficient. The church is called to relate to one another in order to add a distinct relational aspect to everything that it does, even one-on-one disciples. Just as with um, many other things in church life, one-on-one discipling is to take place in the context of a loving, encouraging, Christ-centered relationships. By this, we get to know the life, the struggles, and the giftings of one another. By this, we build a church culture of mutual edification. Also, one other important part, a thing I think I should mention is, uh, I believe, biblically, that discipleship should only occur, discipleship should only occur, occur between people of the same gender. That is, two women or two men. I don't think the mixing the two is wise. Now, let me briefly explain why. And Paul, in his letter to Titus, in the second chapter, he instructs Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In verse 2, he speaks to the older men. In verse 3, he now directs his attention to the women. Let me read what um, Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 says. The older women, likewise, that they be um, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I just kind of notice how Paul tells women that they are to admonish or teach the younger women how to be good wives, how to love their children, how to be discreet. I think the point here is discipleship. One, a man cannot teach a woman how to be a woman, right? And vice versa. <laughs> During discipleship, two or more people spend a lot of time together alone. I don't think that's wise. Discipleship is a very intentional relationship that can easily stir up other problems if the two are mixed. So, third, biblical discipling is loving. Intentional relation, relational discipling is not cold and kind of, un, un, you know, um, without any fire. Rather, it is near the very essence of how God has called us to love one another within his church. We are called to deliberately pour out our lives for the spiritual good of others, just as Christ poured out his life for our eternal good, right? Certainly, Christ did for us what we could never do for one another. He bore our sins as a perfect, sinless substitute. We can't do that. But still, we are called in our imperfect and fallen state to picture that perfect love of Christ. We are called to imitate him but how? By pouring out our lives for the spiritual good of others, for their encouragement, 
and blessings. That's what the Bible describes between describes as love between Christians. The, the Apostle Paul says it clearly in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He writes, by this we know love, that he laid out his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for our others, for, uh, for our brothers. What does it mean that Jesus laid out his life for us? Well, we, well, it, it can't be referring to his atoning work, because we can't ourselves imitate that knowledge to others, right? It must mean something else. Something we as humans can imitate, right? Given that, I think it's clear that he's, look, he's looking at the way Jesus poured out his life, not in death, but in discipling. Why did Jesus lay down his life for us? To glorify God and to do with some good spiritually. To teach, uh, model, encourage, and love his disciples. So when we do this to our other brothers and sisters, we glorify God. We should picture that love in our own small ways by laying down our lives for others with the goal of glorifying God and doing them some good. This is what it means to love and biblical discipling. Fourth, biblical discipling involves training in God's word. Discipling involves training. It has both content to convey and application to make. Yet this training cannot just be anything. What we teach people and win them too is what they spend the rest of their lives uh, contemplating and doing. If we teach people to rely on themselves or turn to things of this world, they will never find God. Discipling must be rooted in the word of God. It is God's word that brings life and not the disciples' sage advice. Scripture itself is, has the power and the ability to transform it's evident throughout scripture and the entire canon. We see this really emphasized in 2 Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes, All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In its simplest form, disciple making is the daily task of pointing others to God's word. As disciplers, we work hard not to cultivate a dependence on ourselves. Rather, we train Christians to consistently turn to the scriptures. Biblical discipling is like a pipeline. Uh, to better understand the concept of discipling, let us kind of consider the image of a conduit for pouring out spiritual blessings on the life of another person. The, the purpose of a pipeline is to move fluid along in the direction that it should go, making sure it gets from the source to the intended destination. Biblical discipling is very much like a pipeline. Christians, right, who root themselves in God's truth are in a position to do good up to do good to others. God uses Christians as conduits for his truth. We take God's word, right? We live by it, and then we then pass it on to others, and then they repeat the process. So us, right, as I'm thinking about a pipe, when I'm thinking of us, pipes do not have nothing to be proud about, right? No, nothing to be boastful about. The work of a pipe is simply to be in the right place, channeling God's truth to others. So let me ask you a question. 
Are you a pipeline? So, discipling is a process and not a program. Why might it be easy to think of discipleship as a program instead of a process? Uh, many programs have been developed to grow disciples. But because every person is different and has different struggles and temptations, discipleship cannot be so easily packaged into one thing. At its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do to intentionally help other persons grow up in holiness. It's a process of becoming like Christ. It's not a program. It may be, you know, um, reading a good Christian book together and discussing it as you meet up once a week. It may mean outlining a book of the Bible together. It may mean going to a uh, going through a core seminar class and discussing it over lunch. It may mean I don't know sharing insights from the weekly sermon of a coffee. It may mean bringing your kids over to play at another person's home, another uh, church member's home, and discussing last week's sermon uh, over last uh, last week's Sunday's devotional over dinner. Maybe inviting an unmarried man or a woman over for dinner and talking to them about what scripture teaches about marriage and parenting, we go on and on. What discipling looks like in practice is pretty wide open. It's going to vary. The key is that whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of scripture and presented on the basis of intentional, loving relationships. And in a nutshell, that's what discipling is. Let me wrap this up. Conclusion. As we move forward in this class, we'll consider a lot of specifics of what discipling looks like in practice. How to discuss a book with someone, how to study the Bible together, and many other specific topics. But as we walk away from as we walk away this morning, I want you I want to remind you that discipling is intentional and deliberate. It doesn't just happen. It requires you deciding with God's help. To work and to be a conduit for the scoring, for the pouring spiritual blessings into the life of another person. That's one aspect of your personal obedience to Christ's command to go and make disciples. Discipling is relational. It requires you reaching out to get to know other people and investing your time in them for spiritual good. Discipling is loving. There is no greater way that you can show love to fellow believers in Christ than by deliberately thoughtfully considering how you can do them spiritual good. And discipling, discipling involves training in God's word. We want the word to reform and change people and not just our opinions and personal ideas. I encourage you to begin thinking now how you can grow in your own discipleship of Christ by becoming intentional, deliberate, and kind of creating this culture of discipleship.